All right, brethren, let's be turning to John chapter 20. John 20. This chapter declares to us the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's seen through the eyes of his disciples. And there's some blessed insights into the grace and love of our Savior witnessed with regards to Mary Magdalene. Especially, that's what we'll be looking at, the first 17 verses tonight. And we'll be looking at the Lord's resurrection through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. Now, after the Sabbath was ended, it was now the first day of the week, which is Sunday, and Mary Magdalene goes to the sepulcher. She has some spices that she wants to anoint the Lord's body with, and she goes to the sepulcher, and because she saw them. The, the other Gospels say that she saw where they lay his body, where Nicodemus and Joseph had laid his body. And so we read in verses 1 and 2, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. So Mary's first assessment of what she saw wasn't that her Lord had risen from the dead, but that someone had taken his body away. And so Peter and John, they run to the tomb, and they give it an inspection. And it says down in verse 5, John, stooping down, looking in, he got there first, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. So the significance of these clothes lying or remaining there and how they were laid, what it indicates to us is that no one took the body of Christ. Had they taken the dead body of Christ, they would have taken it in the wrapped linen, the the linen that he was wrapped in. They wouldn't have removed those things, and they certainly wouldn't have folded them up nicely and set them gently in the places where they were. They would have been taken out with his body. Verse 8. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and and he saw and believed. Now, it doesn't tell us what John believed, but likely what he believed is what Mary Magdalene said. They've taken the body of our Lord because of what it says in the next verse, 9. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home which in the scriptures, that typically is not a good thing. That's usually a sign of unbelief when Israel would scatter and go back to their own tents. They were, there, there was division or unbelief in, in what they did. But a miracle happened here. Christ was risen from 
the dead. And Matthew tells us that the Jews were worried about this. They were worried that the disciples were going to come and take the body. And so they had secured a, a, a watch of soldiers, four soldiers, that they could put there by the, at, at the tomb. And they put the stone there and they sealed the stone, securing it so that it was known that the Romans were watching this thing and no one was going to come and steal the body because the Roman soldiers would be put to death. So they weren't going to give it, sell it for money or anything like that because they would lose their, their lives. But as we begin our study, I want to give you first three things, just to begin, first three things about the resurrection of Christ from the dead that are a great encouragement to us, that we should hear and, and understand about the resurrection of Christ. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just a belief. It has vast implications for us in what it means. In Christ rising from the dead, it, it speaks of, of the glory of our God and what he's done for his people. So first, his resurrection confirms everything that Christ said, claiming to be the Son of God, claiming to be sent of the Father to save his people from their sins. Everything he said about going to Jerusalem, being, being betrayed by the Jews and, and killed by the Jews, and rising again, tearing them, the Jews tearing down the temple and him building it again, everything he claimed means that it's true. It's true. He is who he said that he is. In Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Christ declares with power that he is the Son of God. This is the promised seed. This is the seed of David. He is exactly who he said he was. This is the one whom, whom the prophets and the scriptures spoke of concerning him, that he should come. And he fulfilled all the scriptures just like God said he would. Second, his resurrection confirms the Father's approval of the Son's redemptive work. Acts 17.31, Acts 17.31, here Paul is speaking to the Greeks on Mars Hill, the philosophers, <clears throat> actually we'll read verse 30 and 31, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And he's talking about repent of your vain religious works that you think is your righteousness and salvation. Be turned from those things because they cannot save you. They're not the truth. They're not righteousness. Be turned, repent of those things because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men to know who this ordained man is in that he hath raised him from the dead. And so this is good news to us 
because it says that the Father is well-pleased in the work of the Son. And if he's well-pleased in the work of the Son, then he's well-pleased with us who believe the Son. Because it means that God has accepted, received the sacrifice of his Son to put away the sins of you that believe him. So that you will not come into the judgment and wrath of Almighty God because you have been made righteous by Christ. All your sins are put away. Third, his resurrection assures every believer of their own resurrection. You have eternal life in Christ. John eleven twenty five. 25. <clears throat> Jesus here is speaking unto Martha concerning her son Lazarus. And he says about the resurrection, he says to Martha, I am, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We live now through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing him, believing him. We live now and we shall be raised again from the dead. John 6.40, our Lord said, This is the will of him that, hath, that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ confirms to you personally whose hope is in Christ, who trusts Christ for all your righteousness, it confirms to you that you shall be raised from the dead. He hath gained the victory over death. Now, all your enemies want to destroy this truth. They, don't, they, they, they profess not to believe it. They say they don't believe it. But they want to destroy this because if they can destroy the resurrection of Christ and convince you that it never happened, it makes our preaching vain. It's useless. It makes your faith vain. It's useless. It leaves you in your sins. It leaves those that have died and gone before yet dead. Yet dead. And it leaves us most miserable of all men if this is the only place that we have hope in Christ. Because for Christ's sake, we are persecuted, we are troubled, we go through difficulties and hardships for Christ's sake. And so we're, of, mo of all men, most miserable. And you can read that in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 12 down through 22. But men deny it because they know that there is coming a judgment in which they shall stand before holy God and be judged for their sins and their deeds done in the flesh, their wicked works. Paul said in Acts 24, 15, there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. All shall stand before the throne of God. But this chapter isn't simply about the doctrine of resurrection, but the joy and the gladness of the saints who saw the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw their Lord, they saw their Savior risen from the dead, and it filled their hearts, it flooded their hearts overwhelmingly with joy and gladness and rejoicing. 
And so in our text, I want to look at four observations with Mary, because she's a beautiful type of the bride of Christ. And she's given faith to see in darkness what Christ has accomplished. And we identify with her sorrow and, and her longing and weeping for Christ. And when she does finally see him, she's overflowed with joy. She is overwhelmed with joy at seeing her Lord and finally being in the presence of her Lord. And our Lord sends her on an errand, just as he does his church. So first, reading again in in John 20, verse 1. Let's read John 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. So when it was yet dark. Now darkness is a description that we're familiar with because it describes what we are in Adam. It describes our nature. It describes our understanding of the true and living God in Adam's nature, in this flesh. Without the Spirit of God, all we know, all we see is darkness. We don't know anything about the true and living God. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We didn't know how to worship God. We didn't know how to approach unto God. We didn't know how to please Him. We were unable to work a righteousness to save ourselves. We tried by the law. We tried by the rudiments and the elements of the world. That means all the different various forms of idolatry and pagan religion and other forms of religion, false religions, all. We tried to come to God doing this thing and that thing or the other thing for our righteousness and it did nothing for us in, in, in reconciling us to God. We tried to come in the works of the flesh and the will of the flesh and all of it fell dead. Worthless, vain works. And so man was shut up in darkness, going along, the road that man travels on is a broad road that leadeth to death and destruction. But this is what we see here with Mary. This is what's pictured here with Mary. She's on her way to a grave. And it's just like all of us in, in, in the deadness of our flesh. We're on our, our, on our way to an early grave in utter darkness. And here she approaches unto the sepulcher in darkness. But though it's dark, she seeth something. She seeth that the stone is taken away from the sepulcher. How can she see it when darkness is over the land? Well, it's the first day of the week and Christ has risen from the dead, having accomplished our redemption, having obtained eternal life for his people, having given his people Life, And so having the life of Christ, a picture of the faith which he works in his child, we see, though it's dark, we see what Christ has accomplished in overcoming death. Through his sacrifice and through his resurrection, he has overcome all our enemies. When Christ Jesus rose from the dead, we're told that the, the veil which which was in the temple and separated the, the people from the holiest of holies, which only the high priest could go into, that veil was 
rent asunder, torn in two, opening the way for the common people, (laughs) us, to go into the presence of holy God and be received and accepted of him through the blood of Christ. Because he went through that veil. He died. And he went before us and rose again and made a way for us to enter into into heaven before our God, before the throne of God accepted of him. The law is satisfied. Christ is our righteousness. He's fulfilled all righteousness. He's satisfied our sin debts with holy God. When he died, his bride was with him so that we're dead to the law and we're delivered from sin and the punishment of it. That law of Moses, which was written on tablets of stone, is pictured in that stone which covered the mouth of the sepulcher. That stone, the, the law of Moses, is writ, which was written on tablets of stone, is picturing that stone which laid in front of the sepulcher and, 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 and held those that were dead fast in it. The law demands death for the sinner. The law demands that 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 if the law demands our death because we cannot keep the law. We cannot make a righteousness for ourselves. And so that stone must lay upon the grave because those who break the law of Moses must die and die eternally and never to rise again. But when Christ died as the surety and the sacrifice of his people, he took that stone and rolled it away from the mouth of the grave, overcoming death, overcoming the grave, having satisfied the law perfectly, so that the law has nothing more to say to him and has nothing more to say to his bride who was with him when he died and rose again. It cannot hold his people in that grave any longer. The curse is put away. It's, it, it's been satisfied. Christ has delivered us from the hands of, of the justice of God so that now we live. We live and are delivered from death. His people shall never die. He says that. They, they, those who believe in me shall never die. When we close our eyes, we shall open our eyes. We shall awake immediately in his presence. Death is but the the porch that leadeth to the home, and we'll be in the presence of our God. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2. Let's go to Galatians 2 and verse 19. Nineteen through twenty-one says, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. How so? How are we going to live unto God? I am crucified with Christ. That's how. That's how I'm dead to the law, and that's how I live unto God, through Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. But the life of Christ has given us life. He's rolled away that stone of the law. He's put it away so that the grave is empty. 
when he rose, we rose with him. And he brings life to all his sheep in the appointed hour of his grace when he sends his Holy Spirit to seek us out, to find us, to bring us under the sound of the gospel, to open our ear to hear the gospel, to hear what Christ has done. And he fills our hearts with faith to believe that he is the Christ and that he has accomplished my redemption. He is my salvation. And we're given life by the Spirit. And when we are given life by the Spirit, we see through the darkness, through, through the, the, the dimness and darkness of this flesh, yet we know by faith Christ has overcome death. He has redeemed me. He's accomplished my salvation. He's rolled the stone away, and the grave is empty. And as He is risen, I am risen with Him. And so we see, we see by faith, that stone is rolled from the sepulcher. We see what Christ has accomplished in himself. Second, in John 20, let's read verses 11 through 14. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. Now this is after John and Peter have left. They've gone back to their homes. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. So Mary is sore distressed because someone has taken the body of her Lord. And she feels, I, I get it, she feels like she could just process her pain. She's got these spices, her heart's broken, they've crucified her Lord, they took him from her, and, and now he's dead and laid in a tomb, and she just wants to, to just take this time to minister to the body of Christ with these spices, and it would just be good. Can I just do this? It's just cruel that they would take away the body of Christ. That's how she sees it, so she weeps. She's weeping, and she can't go home. She doesn't know what to do. And she's just heartbroken, and it's really moving. If you, if you can picture her standing there, how troubled she is. And, and, and just so sorrowful and, and weeping. And though Peter and John were there and they thoroughly checked in the sepulcher and looked around and made sure, nope, there's no body in this sepulcher. They found him not, yet it says as she wept in verse 11, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. <laughs> and all I can think of, that's, that's hope. That's hope. And that's the grace that our God fills the hearts of his people with. When, when it is dark, when we don't see what we would see, and we're troubled and sorrowful and weeping, the Lord gives his children hope. Who, like Abraham, against hope, believed in hope. And the scriptures tell us, hope maketh not ashamed. You that hope in Christ you'll not be ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Through that hope, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts 
by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Through that hope which is wrought in us because there's darkness around, because our enemies are without and within, because we are troubled and weeping and sorrowful and would just long to see a sight of our Savior, long to see our Lord. We would long to see him and look to him and see him again. And yet hope maketh not ashamed. We hope for Christ's return. And we're filled with the love of God in our hearts. And when that love fills our hearts, you know, it, it, it reminds us of what our Lord does for us. Love beareth all things. Love believeth all things. Love hopeth all things endureth all things and love never faileth and love never failed Mary love didn't fail Mary she was ministered to by angels who confirmed what she needed to hear they asked her why weepest thou why weepest thou the body of Christ isn't here and what does that mean if the body of Christ is not in the grave that means your body's not in the grave just as he's risen your risen. Just as he is, is with, with God, you shall be with him in, in glory. When your eyes close, you shall awake and be with the Lord in glory. You're delivered from death and the grave too. So be, be joyful. Don't be sorrowful. And, 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 and this is the word which the Lord ministers to our hearts when we are in sorrow, when we are troubled, when, when we are afraid. The Lord brings that hope to us that whatever is going on, whatever loss we, we suffer, they can never take from us Christ. They can never take from us that inheritance. You have the hope of the saints, eternal life with your Lord. In fact, Christ was actually much nearer than she even knew. She turned herself back in verse 14 and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And, and our Lord does minister to us many times in many ways that, that, that we don't even know, I'm, I'm sure of it, but because he's gracious and loves us and is very kind. Now third, from the reactions of his disciples, we are given here an understanding of how glorious, how joyful, how overwhelming that day shall be for you that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and look for his coming. That shall be a gloriously joyful day. Just looking at their reactions, how it was for Mary, and and we'll see, not tonight, but how it was for the the disciples, the other disciples, they're overwhelmed. Their hearts are flooded with joy. They're joyful. Look at verse 15 and 16. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence from here, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Now when Christ spoke her name, Mary, she turned, and was given sight to see her Lord, and she rejoiced to see him. When he calls your name, we're turned. When he says our name, we're turned. And we rejoice to see 
our Savior. And her first words were, Rabboni, which is to say master, and that's the plural. That's a word, because you're wondering, why don't they just say rabbi? But it's because it's plural. It's the plural form, and it's the only time that that's ever used here in in the Scripture. And at this point, it's a confession of his deity. It's a confession of his deity. It's, It's like when Thomas saw him and realized Christ is risen from the grave. He said, uh, he said, my Lord and my God. And she's confessing here, you're my God. We see the Godhead uh, bodily, the fullness of the Godhead bodily in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when, we he, when he calls us by name, we hear his voice and we are turned from whatever is troubling us, whether it's the first time and we're dead in trespasses and sins and made alive or he calls us when when we're sorrowful and fearful and afraid and looking where we ought not to look looking in the grave when Christ is not in the grave and he turns us to behold and to look to him he said my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand And so through the preaching of the gospel and the regeneration of the Spirit, his children are given life. And through the comfort of the scriptures and through the comfort of the gospel and the Spirit laying them to our hearts, we are given life and hope and and hear the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because his gift of life is to all who believe him. He ministers that life. He ministers his grace. He ministers... His, his love and fellowship to your hearts. And you shall be raised from the dead. You'll see Christ, just like she saw Christ here and was overwhelmed. You too, that believe on him, will, open, will close your eyes in death, in sorrow, and open them in the presence of your Lord. And there you'll dwell in his presence forevermore. Just think how joyful Mary was. Think how joyful the disciples were when they saw him again. And that same joy, when if you can enter into what how overwhelmed they were, and 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 every time the Lord overwhelms you in in answering prayer and revealing Himself to you, and how amazed you are, how amazed you stand that God should take thought of you, and when you open your eyes in His presence, you'll know my God has done this for me, for me. And, and all that time that we've looked through a glass darkly and saw things dimly, yet hoped and hoped that when we were sorrowful and, 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 and saw things without the clarity that we wanted to see, yet in that day there will be no, no blemish, nothing blocking our view of Christ. And it will be a great and joyful day. Job said it this way in Job nineteen twenty five through 27, He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And through the prophet Isaiah, he said, He said, Thy dead men shall live together. With my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out her dead.
So it'll be a great and joyful day, brethren. Now, fourth and final. Verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. So I just want to clarify something, because when you read that, you're wondering, why doesn't Christ want him want her to, to touch him? Why did he say this? Well, it's not that he's saying to Mary, you can't touch me. What he's saying is, there's going to be time enough for that Mary. I ascend. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. I'm, I'm here. I'll be here for, for a while. And, but, but I have an errand for you. Go to my brethren and tell them. Say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Tell them the good news, Mary, that I am risen, that I've been raised from the dead, that I'm here, and I go before them into Galilee. And so, or to Jerusalem. So, what, what we see in this is that we're sent now by our Lord to go and to declare this good news to our brethren, to seek out the lost sheep, to tell them that Christ has raised from the dead, that everything he said he came to do, he accomplished. Tell them what he said he came to do, and tell them what he has done for you. Tell them that he is risen, and the Spirit comes and, and gives life to whom he will, and, and they hear that word, and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll come out, and then they'll be joyful with you at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, when they too shall close their eyes in death and open them in the presence of our God. And so that's a joyful day, and that's, that's the viewpoint that they have of his resurrection. So I pray the Lord bless that to your hearts, brethren.